All right, let's get back to the phone lines. Uh, we start with Suzanne. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning, Bob. How Good morning. Doing? Oh, I'm doing well. It's going to be, uh, it was, golly, it was foggy driving in. I, it's It's been a while since I've seen fog that thick. Yes, uh, indeed. And the, I'm just <clears throat> real curious to see how cold it actually gets out here. <sighs> that's the reason for my call. Yeah. I have potatoes that have been up. Some have been up for a week. Some have been up out of the ground for two and a half weeks, just mm-hmm. depending on where they are. And I know that potatoes are very, very sensitive to cold temperatures. So right. I, I plan to cover with insulate um, as as best I can. I've had surgery, so I'm not as agile as I was. Um, or will be again. Excuse me? <laughs> I said, or will be again. Given given you a little time, I'm sure, sure you'll be as agile as you always have been. Um, yeah, cover what you can. The thing about potatoes is that you're, you're planting. They're, they're starting off with a big chunk of ready nutrients in the form of that chunk of potato that you planted. And potatoes can freeze all the way back to the ground and still come right back out again. Now, granted, they'll be stronger. Granted, you'll get more potato production more quickly if you're able to protect them from a hard freeze. But uh, do what you can, um, probably especially protect the bigger ones. But understand that if even if potatoes freeze down, uh, and we're talking, you know, your your red potatoes like we grow this time of year, not sweet potatoes, but even if they freeze down, they typically bounce right back and come back out again. So it's not the end of the world. You don't have to replant if you're not able to totally protect them if you do get some damage to them. Well, man, that's good news because what I did was I had, because of the weird weather last mm-hmm. fall, I had to take out some cauliflower early on and replant. Um, and then as the cauliflower uh, put up its heads, those plants had came out. Yeah. And I put potatoes in those little spots. So <laughs> I've got sort of this polka dot potato Hod- patch. Hodgepodge of potato patch. Yeah, that that's right. In good. other words, if I try and cover it, I've got still, still since there's some broccoli out there that's, what, three feet tall. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know if I can peg it down to the ground, you know, in the wind. Well, so I'm not going to worry. About yeah, it. do the best you you can with them, but again, don't don't panic because potatoes usually now after if they freeze down more than once if they freeze down twice um they will come back but beyond that you know if if they came up froze and then came up and froze a second time um or by the third time i'd be thinking about replanting but uh um you know we all have short memories when it comes to gardening unless you're in the business professionally which i am I remember a lot of years when the potatoes froze back and they come right back out again. So do what you can, but this is not like tomatoes or peppers that, you know, I'm going to text a friend of mine up in the hill country, actually his wife, and tell her, hey, I hear you planted tomatoes. Dig them up and put them back in the pots because we're going to get real cold in Bernie. And, uh, you know, some of those things, uh, if they freeze, they're gone. But potatoes, no, they can freeze down and come back out. So protect as best you can 
can, but don't lose any sleep over it. Do worry about having a freeze, uh, you know, later in March or possibly in April. The old timers uh, always used to tell me if it thunders in January, it'll freeze in April. And we had two thunderstorms in January, so I'm just hoping the old timers are wrong on this one. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 really, I really do too. Hey, thanks, thanks for taking my call. Have well, it's day. always a pleasure. And if you are out and about, we of course are doing our vegetable seminar this morning. And one of the things I'm going to demonstrate is something called a max bit, which is what I use for planting potatoes. It's like a two foot long extension you put on your electric drill and last year i think i dug 40 holes for potatoes in less than five minutes using this thing so uh anybody that wants to really see a labor saver and see how you can dig holes without bending over um it's kind of a neat thing <laughs> anyway we always have fun at our seminars and uh um, anyway just uh, hope you hope you proceed to recover very promptly and we'll look forward to seeing you one of these days all right. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Suzanne. When I, when I can drive, I'll be there. Well, we'll look forward to it and hope that soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. It's going to be Clint and Al and Rosa and Clint's next. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. A uh, quick question for you. Does the Santa Rosa plum and the Bluffham uh, apricot, do they need pollinators or are they self-pollinating? No, uh, Santa Rosa is one of the best of the self-pollinating plums. Uh, Blenheim uh, apricots, all apricots are better if they have a second tree. I'd think about planting a Park to go along with your Blenheim, but apricots you know they they're iffy in this area to begin with uh, they always try to bloom too early uh, there is a variety i don't know how easy it is to find there's one called golden amber it spreads its flowers out over a much longer period of time it is self-fertile and it usually produces because it freezes early but then produces some blooms later so uh, you'll get some uh, apricots in a good year off your Blenheim, but you'll get a lot more if you do plant a second tree. But even a lot more doesn't mean you're going to get a bumper crop every year. They, they're they just picky, and I, I've never seen them be consistent year after year. Uh, they're probably, oh, golly, you get a third as many apricots as you would off of a peach tree of the same size. But on the other hand, apricots are one of the most tasty, delicious things out there. But I'd, I'd stick a park in the ground along with your Blenheim and just hope the years cooperate. You, you said that name is a Park? M-O-O-R-P-A-R-K. That's, what, that's probably the second most commonly available apricot. And I'll look when I'm over at Phoenix tomorrow, but uh, if there are any, still any around, if anybody's still growing this one called Golden Amber, that's another one uh, that uh, have done well with in the past in the Hill Country. Are they cold hardy? Oh, yeah. They're, uh, the trees are perfectly cold hardy for this area. The problem is that they just usually bloom too early, and uh, we get a hard freeze, so you don't get any fruit. It's not the trees that uh, – the trees are plenty cold hardy. They just uh, always seem to try to bloom too early. They don't – they're not as uh, – you know, they're, they're – it's harder to get an apricot that blooms late enough – uh, not to be susceptible. Apricots almost always start blooming in February, regardless of the variety, and then so many years they end up uh, losing the fruit to a freeze. The freeze. So that was Moore Park and Golden Amber? 
Uh, golden amber is the one that doesn't bloom all at once. It spreads its blooms out over a longer period of time. It starts blooming in uh, February, but it's still blooming in April. So even if the early blooms freeze, you usually get some fruit from it. But, uh, but you know, it, even under the best of circumstances, apricots are going to be not nearly successful as peaches and plums most years. Good deal. And uh, how does the nectarines do in the area? I'm sorry? Nectarine trees? How, oh, nectarines. Per- nectarines are, um, most nectarines require a little more chilling than we typically get here. Nectarines, if they bloom and, and set fruit, they will do really well. But most of your nectarines, all the nectarines that I have seen available are up in that 700-hour chilling range. And, uh, you know, you have to be in the near hill country to dependably get 700 hours of chilling weather. So nectarines do quite well, uh, but many years we don't have enough coal to get a good bloom out of them, so we don't have as much fruit. Okay. Are those self-pollinating also? Uh, they're always better if you have two trees, but they will be self-pollinating to at least some extent. Good deal. And on the uh, compost tea y'all sell, do y'all have that on like a, on a Monday or Tuesday? We we brew it on Friday and uh, try to sell it Saturday or Sunday. If you need a quantity of it, we have people that uh, will brew a whole special batch for that want 10 or 15 gallons of it. But uh, we typically, what we have left on Monday, if we have any left, uh, gets poured around our own properties. But uh, if uh, if you needed if you needed any quantity of it and couldn't come till later in the week, give us about two days' notice and we'll brew some for you. And what's the mixture and application rate out there? Is that is that kind of like a concentrate or? Yeah, oh yeah, it's concentrated. A gallon of it does uh, three to five thousand square feet. One gallon, three to five. So, how much would you say for about a half acre? Um, half acre, I probably would use about six or eight gallons. Yeah, yeah, you'll never overdo it. I mean, there's nothing in there that burns or causes any problems. But I'm going to tell you, six to eight gallons per acre would be a good application rate. Well, what what what, what flow rate do you, you put on your uh, hose and sprayer? Um, that you just need to see. You know, every hose and sprayer is a little different. I would say usually around one tablespoon per gallon, but what you have to do is just fill it, and you can just fill it with clear water if you want to, and see how long it takes that to empty, and then you can get an idea of how many times you're going to have to refill to cover your half acre. Good deal. Okay, well, I appreciate your time. Appreciate your call. You have a great weekend. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. Al, Rosa, Lana, uh, and Lonnie, and Stacy in that order. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Bob. Morning. I live in the uh, Chavano Park area, and I have an overabundance of ball moss. Mm-hmm. And a neighbor of mine and I have agreed that we would like to kill as much of it as we can. Okay. Uh, I, I understand that it won't fall out. Right. But every time there's a storm... I spend a day or so just picking it all up. <laughs> it's growing on power lines, and it's growing on uh, live growth as well. Well, and, you know, it's growing on the power lines, I should tell you, it's not, not stealing from the trees, but it does get really thick. Uh, and 
Uh, if you want to kill it, you can use baking soda uh, to kill it, about maybe a quarter of a cup of baking soda to a couple of gallons of water. Uh, I would I, probably wait about a month before I sprayed because for it to kill the, the bromeliad, the ball moss, uh, it needs to be an active growth. And we need to have um, at least six weeks of nice, warm, moist weather, which just hasn't happened yet. But uh, you wanna you wanna let the ball moss really start growing, and then hit it with your baking soda. I would probably only spray once. I don't want to be putting uh, any more sodium into the soil than I have to. Now, if you want to spend the money, it'd be more expensive. Uh, um, the uh, potassium bicarbonate is safer for the trees, and it will kill the moss, but it's probably going to be about 10 times more costly. But uh, you can use baking soda once without having any real worries. But, again, I'd wait a month till six weeks till it starts growing a little bit more actively and then just spray as thoroughly as you can. Well, part of my problem is how to get to the top or how to get as far up in the trees as the ball moss has uh, mm-hmm. progressed. And I have some large uh, live oaks. Uh, that I particularly would like to, to uh, diminish the ball moss in. Um, I have a gasoline-powered uh, sprayer that's normally used for, like, spraying driveways and things. Mm-hmm. Would that work? It sounds like what you have is more a pressure washer. It is. Yeah. I don't think that's going to spray as high. I mean, that will work uh, if it'll, your it'll pressure washer... It is like mine it has a you know an attachment where you can siphon some material into it but um i would be looking at one of the good rental companies i remember one time we were spraying something entirely different and i went out and and rented a sprayer for a very few dollars mixed and gosh i don't even remember what we were spraying it might have been before we knew about trichogramma wasp we were spraying for webworms or something like that we rented a sprayer spray up to 50 feet just did our mixing in a clean garbage can um and i i doubt your pressure washer is going to give you a direct enough stream to reach any higher than a sprayer just a you know simple sprayer on the end of the hose would so i'd i'd be calling around to some of your rental companies uh I think all those years ago, we actually rented it from Blanco Rentals, which is over Blanco at West Avenue, and uh, haven't looked for those in years, but I'm sure they're around. And for a few dollars, you can rent one for a day, and that's probably what you're going to end up using. Between you and your neighbors, if you split it, you're probably not going to spend more than $20, $25 a piece to get a really good sprayer. Okay. Where would I find the, potass- the uh, potassium bicarbonate? Uh, probably call Analytical Scientific over on Bandera Road. Okay. Okay. And you said about a cup for a, a about a quarter of a, a about about quarter of a cup okay. per two gallons. Uh, so that's going to figure to about a cup per eight gallons. Okay, thank you, Bob. I talked to you last fall, and you said they might still be um, growing, but probably spring was the time. And what I really yeah. wanted to know was when this spring. Yeah, well, uh, how much it, time do I give them? The the whole idea is just to let them come into active growth. And uh, then, then is when you can spray, and it will. 
um, it will kill them. But um, and that varies every year. If the weather stays kind of misty, drizzly, this is perfect weather for it to grow. Just needs to be a little bit warmer. You can go out and pick off a couple of those big clumps, and when the new growth feels nice and soft and supple, looks sort of a green gray color instead of the solid gray, you'll know it's a good time to spray. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure. Appreciate your advice. I've I've followed it for quite a few years, and my yard has never been greener, uh, never been easier to take (laughs) care of. I've had envious neighbors, and I've had a couple who've uh, actually converted to organic. Well, keep up the good work. I'm always glad to hear that, Al. It's good to hear from you, and good luck on your ball moss project. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye. All right. uh, Rosa's turn next. Good morning, Rosa. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I needed to ask you about my bougainvillea. Okay. Now, all the branches, they look dead. Do I just cut them off to the ground? What I would do is, have you seen any new green growth starting to come out? Uh, Not yet. Okay. I wait until I see the green growth, and then that tells me that everything above that point is frozen, and that tells me exactly where to cut it. Now, if you want to cut it back... You can do so, but I wouldn't cut it down more than I'd leave it at least a foot high because it may not. I mean, up until this point, we have not had that much really cold weather. Now, who knows what this next few days is going to bring. But uh, if you're going to cut it back, maybe cut it down to a foot high, and then we'll see where it comes out and see if you need to come back any further. Well, would those branches have any little green in them to tell? They probably would, but I'm not sticking my hand down in the middle of a big thorny bougainvillea to scratch. I'm, I'm going to end up punctured. So <laughs> I, I prune bougainvilleas with long-handled pruning shears, not with short pruning shears. <laughs> okay. And there's another tree. I don't know the name of it. I think you called it Mexican something, but it has big flowers on it. What color are the white flowers? Uh I think it had like a purplish. Yeah, that's probably the what they call the Mexican orchid tree or Hong Kong orchid tree or um, Pato de Vaca. I, they sometimes yes. call it cow foot because of the uh, shape of the big leaves. Yeah, that's that's one uh, of your. It looks like my bougainvillea. All mm-hmm. the branches look dead. So do I cut them all down? And it's not a tree. It's just. All branches yeah, all it's a big bush. I, I do the same thing. I wait and see where it comes out. If you want to cut it back partly, you can. But I'll bet you that thing, you know, is still going to be. You're going to. It's going to be coming out six or eight feet up. Um, uh, so uh, it, cut it a little bit if you want to, but don't get carried away because I. We'll, we'll see what this week's weather brings, but it's just it's just hard to tell how far back it's frozen. And up to this point, I doubt if it's frozen that far back. Well, you know, it has some green coming up. That one does have green coming up around the trunk. Yeah, just uh, go above where the green is appearing and cut it back mm-hmm. there. Now, if you because they're long branches, you oh, know, yeah, real long branches. But they recover in a hurry. We have the Hong Kong orchid tree in our parking lot, and. I remember one year it was 25 feet tall, and it froze down to 3 feet tall, and by the end of the uh-huh. summer it was back up 15 to 20 feet tall again. So they are fast-growing. If you cut it back today, you might throw a little sheet or something over it because uh, it's not going to get that cold in San Antonio, but it may be pretty chilly by Monday morning. Well, I guess my tomato plants will be gone, hmm? 
I would cover them in San Antonio. I'm not that worried. If you were in uh, the Hill Country, yeah. And like I was jokingly saying earlier, I'm going to text a friend in a little while and tell her to go dig hers up and put them back in the pot because in Bernie, I don't think they're going to. If if we get to 24, which they're forecasting, tomatoes even covered are probably not going to survive that. San Antonio, though, we're only looking at 30, 31 degrees in the current forecast, and uh, you can cover them, protect them uh, at that temperature. Okay, just one more thing. My asparagus, I let it go to weeds all over the garden. Uh-huh. And so now I'm pulling up the weeds with this fork, and I'm digging up some of the roots of the asparagus. Can I just put them right back in the ground? Or Yeah, yeah, that's not going to hurt a thing. As long as you're not breaking the crown of the asparagus up, it's still going to give you lots of production. It won't bother it very much at all. Oh, great. Okay, then. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Rosa. Have a great weekend. All right. Back to gardening. Lonnie, Stacy, Chris, and Teresa in that order. Good morning, Lonnie. Good morning, Bob. Morning. Um, I'm, calling, I'm calling about an orchid plant that uh, I picked up at HEV. Okay. And I guess it's the Thaliopsis, although it's not shown on here, the the brand or the varietal is under the name of Mystique uh-huh. out of Homestead, Florida, right. Silver Vase. Um, the watering instructions are, I thought, rather strange. <laughs> take the, take the, no, don't, take don't the, even look at the stupid little instructions they put in there. Yeah, it's probably... The in the water and so forth. Yeah, it's I'm probably in a little, little thin plastic pot sitting down into some sort of ceramic pot. Uh, yes, that's right. Okay. Um, well, obviously, the ceramic pot doesn't drain. I right. would just, you know, lift it out, gently lift it out of the ceramic pot and stick it in the sink and just flood it. Or you can even fill a saucepan with water and stick it down in there, you know, for five or ten minutes. It, it's sometimes hard to get that sphagnum moss really well moistened now what you're going to find uh in a few weeks when you repot it and i'm going to tell you about that in just a second you'll find that most of the roots are kind of on the outer edge of the sphagnum but uh uh, you just water very, very thoroughly when that moss seems dry. My guess is that's probably going to be about every four or five days. But, yeah, I read the instructions just for a laugh the other day. And they tell you, put two <laughs> ice cubes a week on it or some BS like that. But, uh, no, it's... Uh, no no it, to the ice cubes, then. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, it just, you know, tap water is fine. Uh, the most important thing is going to be keep that phalaenopsis where it gets good, bright light. Indoors, I think it would be impossible to give it too much light. Now, maybe your wife wants it on the dining room table or something like that for entertaining in the evening, but put it over in a sunny window during the day. Eventually, and those blooms should last, oh, six, eight weeks. Phalaenopsis blooms last a long time. But when, uh, after it does finish flowering, don't cut that spike off until it turns brown and crispy. Sometimes the same flower spike will put out little branches from below and have even more flowers. But okay. after the, after it's all through with its flowering period, you're going to repot it. You're going to take it out. Uh, you're going to gently peel away as much of that sphagnum as you can. You're going to repot it into a fir bark mix, and um, they, you know, it'll do the same thing all over for you next year. We used to grow about thirty thousand of those things a year. In fact, we actually sold the H E B till 
some political things changed and the government started letting them ship all these plants in from China ready to bloom because uh, orchid growers over there, the government subsidizes them, and that's why they can sell them at such a low price. But that's a whole other story. Why, you do such things as that? What's that? Oh, yeah. Why, you mean the Chinese do things such things as that? Yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? But, uh, no, when when it is all through with its blooming cycle, uh, you can repot it uh, into a fur bark mix and it'll just get bigger and prettier every year. Do fertilize it periodically. Uh, in fact, if you're using the old soak it in the saucepan method, you can just put a little has to grow in the water. Do that about every, you know, about every fourth or fifth watering. And uh, your failing options should do beautifully for you. The only warning I will give you about orchids is that they are highly addictive. Uh, once you've grown one really successfully, I mean, that's what happened to me. I started in the eighth grade, and by the time I got out of high school, I had 200 plants. By the time I got out of college, I had 2,000 plants. So uh, don't say I didn't warn you, but uh, just, yeah, water it in the sink and uh, keep it in a real bright window and should give you pleasure for a long time. Real good, Bob. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Lonnie. Thank you, sir. Stacy's next. Good morning, Stacy. Good morning. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. Excellent. Um, so I have a quick question. Twelve by twelve planter. Uh-huh. And I may have prematurely planted some things a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> okay. What did you plant? Um, I planted radishes, short carrots, spinach, green beans, and Swiss chard. Okay, the only now one of those my, that you shouldn't yeah. have planted is the green beans. Um, and, and they are just popping up through the ground. Okay. And my radishes are already about two inches plant-wise. Mm-hmm. And my spinach and my Swiss chard is just coming up out of the ground as well. Okay. Can I put a blanket or something over them, or what, are, what should I do? You you need to cover really all of them. Now, normally, uh, Swiss chard, radishes, carrots, spinach, uh, lettuce, all these things are normally hardy down to in the teens, actually. But when they okay. first when they first sprout. It takes them a couple of weeks to harden off. So I'm going to – are you here in San Antonio? Yes, southwest. Southwest. You know, what I would do is put – and it can be little stakes. It can be, you know, bricks, whatever. I would put something to hold your covering material up a few inches off the ground. Um, you can use whatever you like since this is expected to be a dry, cold front. If you want okay. the very best, uh, we use a real thin material. It's called insulate, the letter N-S-U-L-A-T-E. It actually lets so much light through that you could leave it on for, you know, you could leave it on all winter for that matter. We use it on oh, bougainvilleas wow. and things like that. But we're looking at potentially three cold mornings, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And right. um, if you use something like that, you can just put it on once and not worry about it. Um, okay. Other things that are thicker, the longer they stay covered, the less well they do. But um, I'm going to watch the weather carefully, but... Um, okay. Uh, I, I mean, if you had planted and you actually should have planted these, come get one of our, you know, gardening handouts sometime. You could have planted your carrots and chard and spinach three or four months ago, and they would be oh. up and growing. You would have no worries about anything except the green beans. But since they're okay. newly sprouted, yeah, I'd protect them all. Well, I get them in the little packet, you know, at Target or wherever, <laughs> and I go by exactly what it says on there, and it says between here and here. 
Um, so what I actually had to do was as soon as my radishes came up, the birds or squirrels or whatever started digging holes in my mm-hmm. garden and the grackles or whatever they are were pulling out my radish plant mm-hmm. completely. Yep. So yep. Um, I went and got one of those bird net n- uh-huh. um, nets right. and I put that up over probably about about, I don't know, half a foot to a foot in some uh-huh. areas. And I just put that on some stakes yeah. and covered it up. Yeah. And so should I just throw the blanket on top of that? Absolutely. Then? Absolutely. Okay. You're all set. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. What are you doing at 945 this morning? At 945? Yeah. Uh, nothing. Coffee. Well, <laughs> if you were looking for something fun to do, I'm teaching a class on vegetable gardening. And um, oh, if you great. would really like to learn a lot about uh, a lot of different things and get some good handouts, including exactly when you ought to be planting things, uh, come on over. They're free of charge. We'll have that coffee on by 9. I imagine we'll have a pretty good crowd. So our, our seminar area seats between 125 and 150 people. Uh, so, uh, but this is a very popular seminar. Uh, we do them over at Shades okay. of Green on Sunset Road. But oh, if yeah, you, if you would, uh, really like to learn a bunch, uh, come on over and, uh, right. let me answer those questions and a whole lot more when I've got an hour to talk to you instead of three minutes. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Stacy. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. And Chris is up first. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a uh, pomegranate that is about 20 years old. It's nine foot tall, probably 15 feet in diameter, and looks pretty unkept. It's it's just <laughs> that's wild. what pomegranates look like. Yes, sir. Is there any way to trim that up, clean it up, pretty up? Is there a point where I can just whack it off and let it come back? You know what? I'd treat it kind of like a do oleanders. I go through and thin it out. I probably would cut off the highest of the limbs because it's going to keep branching and coming out from the base. And uh, I just I try to leave if you if you're wanting the flowers and wanting the fruit, you don't want to just go through and top it as it were, but you can certainly go through and, and prune out the least attractive, the biggest, the most overgrown portions of it, and uh, you'll still get flowers and fruit, and you'll have a, a much more manageable plant. Now, if you're not concerned about the flowers and fruit, you can cut the whole thing down to three feet tall all the way across, and it'll branch and come back out fuller and thicker than ever, and you'll worry about it again in about three or four years. But Pomegranates are basically just big old shrubs and uh, thin them out and um, periodically, and it just makes them easy to, easier to manage. What time of the year should I do that? Right now. Okay. Yeah, it's it's yours is probably still deciduous, doesn't have any leaves on it. Yes. Yeah, I'd do it before the new growth begins if you can. You probably get about two, three weeks of good time. But remember, uh, as you probably well know, there's some spines down in there. There's some thorns on that thing. Yes, so sir. wear your yes, eye sir. protection, do it carefully. But uh, this afternoon would be a great time to work on it. All right. That's all I have. Well, then you get out and enjoy your weekend and call me again when I can help. And I'll talk to Teresa right now. Good morning, Teresa. Hi, good Hi morning. Good I, morning. I wanted to ask you about my tomato plants. Okay. I planted, I planted them. Like I went to your fall uh-huh. course at sunset. It was wonderful, and I planted them. They're beautiful and green, 
but the tomatoes are just small. And I'm thinking because of the weather and the overcast we have, we haven't had a lot of sun. You're thinking exactly right. Tomatoes love sun. They love heat. Um, the sunlight is what produces the sugars, which help the plants grow bigger, help the tomatoes get bigger and actually turn color. Um, so I, they must be in a protected area and you're very definitely going to need to protect them for the next two or three, not tonight, but beginning Sunday night there, it's going to get pretty chilly again, but, uh, your tomatoes are going to look like whole different plants when springtime really arrives to stay. And, um, I wouldn't be concerned at all about the fact that they're slow to grow, slow to turn color. That's what they do in the winter months. Okay. All right. And I'm hoping to go to your show uh, this morning if I can get things done. But I really, I really enjoyed it. It was wonderful. In the <laughs> well, fall. Really I'll, I'll, I'll switch gear for a, I talk more about cool weather things in the fall. And uh, I'll be talking more about warm weather vegetable gardening. But, you know, we'll look forward to having you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. Billy's up next. Good morning, Billy. Good morning, Dr. Webster. Um, are you familiar with this sumo fruit? Sumo fruit, not by that name. Okay. Tell me about it. I think it is I think it is a cross between an orange and a mandarin. Okay. And they're you can only get them in like about two months out of the year, starting <laughs> the latter part of January. Right. And I was trying to buy a a tree to try and grow it down south and there's something about their proprietary or something. Well, you cannot ship citrus into Texas. They're worried about this uh, disease called greening that's come up out of Mexico. And the only citrus that you can buy legally have to have been grown in Texas. There are only two big citrus growers in Texas, and they may just not be, you know, producing those at this time. But um, um, I've not heard about it being proprietary. I will, uh, I'll try to remember to ask the Fanics, uh, tomorrow when I'm over there, cause they bring in a lot of citrus, but, um, uh, there's uh, one company called Saxon Bechtel. The other is called, um, uh, citrus or Brazos Valley citrus. Uh, and they may have just not picked it up yet. It's, um, um, I, I doubt if there's, it's, it's probably patented, but, um, it probably just, these companies haven't tried it out they haven't uh, started producing them yet and and it's true you cannot buy them out of florida or out of california or even out of louisiana where lots of citrus is grown so um i'll look around see what i can find for you but i you know if it's got much of the uh of the satsuma blood and it, it's probably going to be pretty cold hardy and down south you should do fine with it i i tell you what it is the easiest peeling best flavored kind of orange i've ever had in my life does it have many seeds in it i've only had one that had a seed in it and i tried to propagate it and i didn't have any luck well the just the other thing i could find was in california is where they grow them yeah and apparently those growers down there have it locked down to where they don't want anybody in the marketplace well it's there they'll make it out uh one of these days uh as you eat them anytime you find a seed when you collect collect half a dozen seed or so and then call me back and let me give you some help with getting that seed started because uh it'll be a bit of oh, a wait be excellent. a wait for it to produce but i'd look forward to helping you with it.